Welcome to Herbal Explorations, a podcast hosted by Wilson Lau of New Herbs. Each week, we speak to leading experts about what's happening in the herbal industry. Good morning. I'd like to welcome my dear friend, Asa, who's the principal of the Regulatory Consulting Group Supplement Advisory Group, specializing in finding online risks and providing low-risk solutions, uh, backed by over 20 years as a clinical, certified clinical herbalist um, and working in many, many, many supplement companies. And Asa has great operational background, so he knows where the road meets the rubber or the rubber meets the road, I should say. Um, check out Asa's regulatory education series, which I love, um, called uh, regu- was it Warning Letter Wednesdays. Right? Is yeah, that right? warning, letter, warning Letter Wednesdays, and that's the hashtag Warning Letter Wednesdays. Just like I go through different warning letters each week and talk about enforcement trends and what we can learn from them to try to make uh, you know our our audience of viewers here the regulatory experts. Yeah, and I was listening to one of your Warning Letter Wednesdays, and they involved. Uh, you know, a supplement company specializing in TCM. And this was sort of the genesis of having you on the show was to really talk about, you know, when does a practitioner make claims under their scope of practice versus when they're making product claims more like a marketer uh, as any supplement company would make. So I think uh, that was very enlightening, your conversations. I'd recommend checking it out. Um, but what are some samples of something you can say as a practitioner, but you may not be able to say as a marketer of products or a product claim? Yeah, love that question. Thank you, Wilson. And thanks so much for having me. And hello to all the Herbal Explorations people out there. We are we are live. So it's great to see everyone in this virtual format. Quickly, quick disclaimer, I'm not an attorney. Uh, you know, this is just a discussion, informational purposes only. So we're not giving any legal or regulatory advice. So a really good example, Wilson, is with pain. So practitioners, they commonly talk about relieving pain. And that's why I go to my acupuncturist every two weeks to help relieve my pain, relieve my discomfort. Mm-hmm. Now, if that same practitioner uh, talked about an herbal product being used for pain, then they've really crossed that bridge into the high-risk disease-oriented category. Yeah. And <clears throat> as people that wear many hats, just like the practitioner that we're talking about, who also is a marketer and a practitioner and maybe have other hats, I am an attorney, so I am not offering legal advice or regulatory advice. This is conversation sake only. So it's really important to remember um, which hat you're wearing when you're doing what. I think that's going to be very key to what we're talking about today is because just because you can say in one environment, one setting doesn't mean you can say in another setting. Um, You know, one of the things that there's a lot of been a lot of warning letters on is testimonials and how you can use them and what do they mean? And do you make them or do the, the, the person making them make them or you adopt them? Tell us a little bit more about that, Asa, and how people can avoid practitioners can avoid trouble when using testimonials. Yes, I love that. Well, the FTC just out, sent out 700 letters, not warning letters, but kind of put 700 different companies on notice for their product reviews, testimonials, and then their influencer type of testimonials, which is a whole nother, um, you know, whole nother discussion. Maybe I'll be able to come back and talk more about that someday. Yeah. So testimonials are top of mind for FDA, FTC, and National Advertising Division. But to, you know, to really get to the core of testimonials or product reviews, we'll have to go back to the dawn of time. So think about in our ancient tribal culture, 
Um, we, we used pro testimonials to give health advice or for tips on how to avoid danger. Don't eat that berry. Don't go over there. There's a lion over there. So it's really written into our genetic code as human beings. And of course, now in the digital era, whenever we say something, we've got, it's amplified, you know, 50,000 times, times more. So testimonials really are so important to health decisions. So when, when using any testimonials, of course, they must be truthful, not misleading. They actually, whomever is giving the testimonial actually has to, it has to be truthful. They have to have tried the product or the service. So if a practitioner is, um, is selling herbal products and also, for example, their acu acupuncture services or TCM services, or herbal services. I, I like to suggest using strong caution because um, it can really be different, uh, difficult to separate the two. So if someone is talking about their, uh, I went to this acupuncturist for pain, that's not likely to be scrutinized, at least what I've seen from FDA and FTC warning letter precedent. Now, mm -hmm. if the practitioner then talked also sold, had herbal products and then one of the testimonials they were talking about, and I used Wilson's great pain relief formula, then they've really crossed the line. And it's it's really difficult for the practitioner to, to, to parse those or separate those apart. So think about how different, difficult it is for an FDA investigator with probably no knowledge of TCM, or to use that example wording, <laughs> it's really difficult for the FDA investigator to know the difference between services and product benefits. So that's really the thing, differentiating product benefits from, from uh, services. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think, you know, it, it is the sum of all the parts. So although one claim could be, uh, you know, Dr. Wallstein gave me this, gave me herbs and it helped me with my pain. And then there's a lot of other herbal products on the page. Then you might, they might adapt that and say, you're really talking about the herbs on the page versus like if you had no herbal products on the page um, and just your practice, it may be viewed quite differently as well. So I think when they're looking at it, you have to think about it not in isolation, that one claim or testimonial, but the whole sum of the parts, because that's how they're going to look at it. It's not what one person, one thing said, but the sum of everything. I love that comment, the sum of it, the totality of everything. And, and really, um, you know, that brings up a really great point, Wilson. Thanks so much for, for bringing that up is the FDA and FTC. They look at really the 30,000 foot view of a company's online persona. So in this example, the practitioner may have a claim about their services treating pain relief, but also on their social media, they might um, have a, be highlighting a product and maybe they're uh, talking about the pain relief uh, properties of this product or on a video. So really, you know, when we talk about the sum or the totality, it's important to really step back and think about the complete online persona if those social media and website and video sites are linked, um, you know, through, through some type of link, I guess. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that we have to remind um, the practitioners that are listening to this, you do, we do have First Amendment right to say a lot of things, right? But, you know, there's difference between, again, which hat you're wearing, you know, you as a public citizen and you as a commercial marketer and commercial speech, and they're regulated quite differently. And I think this is very one of those things like you almost have to 
put on and sort of think about it. Like I am, what hat am I wearing at this moment? And you know, what is this trying to accomplish? <laughs> it's a, it's such a fascinating um, area of enforcement and law. Cause there's sometimes it seems like social media is evolving faster than the rules that apply to it. And, um, it's just very, very enlightening. And your your warning letter Wednesdays and the letters you write out on share, they're really fun and a fun way to digest information. Thank you. I certainly have fun writing them. Um, my my wife thinks I'm a little crazy because I'm so passionate about enforcement trends. But I think to your point, Wilson, the social media or online marketing is evolving quicker than you know quicker than the government can can make um, regulations to control that. And so what do we have? We've got warning letter precedent. We've got um, FDA policy statements. So, you know, based on these, they can, we can kind of fine tune our, our guardrails. And I really love your comment about First, First Amendment or right, right to speech. Um, maybe, I could, maybe I could share an example if that's okay. Perfect, of course, love okay. it. Okay, so let's say that um, someone that bought Wilson's famous pain relief formula bought it and they were not compensated in any way and they wrote on their Facebook post or social media, I love this product. It worked great for my pain relief. Um, I am a better person because of it. Now they're allowed to say whatever they want that's uncompensated. Now if the practitioner then said, oh, that's so cool. I want to use that in my marketing. Then if that practitioner reposted that or use that on their website, they're substantiating that claim and they're inadvertently bridging that gap between potentially protected speech and that commercial connection. Yeah, and I think it's like you're adopting it by sharing it, right? You're sort of putting your stamp of approval and the way that the government looks at the one, the first instance where there's no compensation and you don't interact with it, the key word is interact with it is like, you don't know better. You're not responsible for what anyone else says, right? But the second that you start playing with it um, or interacting with it, then the government says, well, now you're sort of adopting it, like you said. And it, it could be even sharing, it, like you can comment on it on their page and it could still, you know, if the totality and the sum of parts indicate that's the way, what you're trying to do, then you might get in trouble as well. <laughs> yeah, in, indeed. And that's why it's so important to identify what I call high-risk buzzwords, uh, disease-oriented words. So let's say that in this example, someone was talking about, um, I use this product for my, my relief and recovery. Those are not without risk, but they're lower risk. So a, a lower risk, a higher risk way to say that is my inflammation and my pain relief. So if, if a person then was talking about these in lower risk ways, potentially the practitioner might want to share that and accept that level of risk because it's truthful, it's engaging, and it helps, um, you know, share the story of their wonderful product. Yeah. And I think there's always a spectrum of risks, right? It's how much risk are you really taking on? Indeed. And in, indeed, um, you know, is it, is it, is it worth the risk? Uh, you know, Get going out of my house in Longmont, Colorado and going to the gym at sunrise this morning. There's a level of risk in that. Not the same thing at all. I'm being I'm being silly, of course, but in, in marketing, nothing is without risk. And that's 
Um, you know, you th thank you so much for that kind introduction. You made me sound really important, uh, but really at the at the onset of this this uh, show. But really, I'm just a an herbal geek that followed my my passion and my creativity throughout dietary supplement manufacturing and hemp pr hemp product manufacturing. And what's really informed um, my viewpoint with my consulting company, Supplement Advisory Group, is being in that conference room or that boardroom and having these type of risk-oriented decisions for 15, 20 years, which is, here's the reason why we shouldn't say something, or we shouldn't say that, here's the reason why, and here's a lower risk way to say the same thing that is also truthful, but also gets that marketing message away across in a way that's effective but also compliance. So, you know, low, lowering risk by reducing high risk buzzwords, for example. And that's really the basis of my consulting company, which I obviously like a real lot. Yeah, I know you love what you do. I think one of the things is like high risk words, like, and that's why following you or reading the warning letters is really important, right? You don't want to say something like COVID-19, really high risk, right? <laughs> if you said something like, you know, toenail fungus, maybe not so high risk, <laughs> but you know, there's a spectrum of enforcement um, priorities. So even though both may be equally, if viewed by the enforcement agency, both are not kosher or copacetic, but one they're going to go enforce and one they don't have the resources or time to bother with. <laughs> In, indeed. Again, yep. Truthful, not misleading, but yeah, if it's low, if it's lower risk, and it's uh, accurate, uh, it's unlikely to attract enforcement attention. But this is really fascinating, Wilson, is a lot of practitioners that are getting these FDA or FDA and FTC warning letters, they're not bad people or companies at all. Um, they're actually wanting to do good things, but they're inadvertently crossing the line from being excited about their products to making high-risk um, claims and statements. So oftentimes we'll see this with, um, there was a famous herbalist early in the pandemic that came out with the COVID protocol, mm -hmm. uh, you know, lung support, that kind of thing. There was several warning letters that came out, I think mostly in the herbalist category, where these well-intentioned great practitioners were making this formula because they wanted to get it out to the, the masses, but they were essentially copying and pasting all the copy about this COVID protocol. And ding, 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 that's making a COVID claim. So that's a really easy way that practitioners can inadvertently um, adopt uh, high-risk high things and attract a warning letter. An another, um, another mistake that I see is copying and pasting uh, potential things out of your school notes or even potentially materia medica, such as antiviral, anti-inflammatory. These are things that we use to describe herbs and plants as practitioners. But if we're using that to describe the action of an herb in a product that we're selling commercially, then we've crossed that line into the high risk word. And I would like to say that except for antioxidant, in, in, in my memory, all things with anti in the title are considered a claim, antiviral, anti-inflammatory, all that type of thing. So tips, I do have a video on my YouTube channel. You can find it through my website, acewaldstein.com. And I made a video called tips for understanding if you're making a claim so that that's there. Also, um, anything ending in itis, I-T-I-S means inflammation of, that's considered a claim as well. Yeah, I, I think those are great tips. And I, one of the things that people have to remember, because of 
the platforms we're using today, primarily what we're talking about is internet or based platforms such as um, it could be social apps, it could be advertising on Google. The reach is a lot further than what we use traditionally when I won't throw you under the bus, Asa. I'll throw myself under the bus. When I was a kid, you know, you, you could shout at the top of your lungs um, and not be on someone's radar because the the radius or the number of people that can hear that claim or statement is very um, localized. Yeah. But now that with the internet and these platforms, we're talking about making a claim locally, but broadcasting globally. So I think that's the reach issue. So I think one of the things is like the FDA, real, I, in my opinion, right, and this is really just Wilson's opinion, I think the FDA has given, uses their enforcement discretion really well with herbalists, acupuncturists, and whatnot when it relates to the scope of their practice and yep. the four corners, I call it the four corners of their office, right? Um, you can have a very informed and uh, open discussion with your patients that you, if you were having a broadcast of your of your intake from treatment sessions, the same thing may be very um, frowned upon. So I think it's very. Where are you making these claims is also very important. Yeah, great, great comment, and I and I love that picture of the four corners of the of the office or the room or. Um, maybe it's in a teepee and there's not four corners. It's a rounded corners. It's a yes. metaphorical metaphorical room. I'm, I'm just being silly here. So yeah, yeah I, I, I agree with the uh, use of enforcement discretion and that to carry that um, a little more into compounding or products, the FDA certainly practices enforcement discretion. You could find it in the FDA small entity compliance guide. You can Google it or ask myself or Will Wilson will send you the link. And they, they practice enforcement discretion if a practitioner is doing one-on-one -on -one consultation consultations and essentially compounding or making those formulas for that patient or that, that client. Now, that enforcement discretion dissipates when a practitioner would make a very large batch of a formula and then sell it to many, many clients or on the, on the World Wide Web. So um, I'm glad you mentioned enforcement discretion from a practitioner intake uh, and, and consulting side, but also, you know, when, when, when you're, um, when you're making products for the clients as well, too. And talking about compounding, I'm going to give everyone, all the practitioners out there that are compounding in their clinic. Um, I would highly recommend that you download APA's good compounding guidelines. And I will put that in the link in the comments as well. Um, on the show, so you could go ahead and just access it that way. But it's a great document. I think Asa, you also worked on it as well, if I remember correctly. I can't. I can't remember. I try to be really helpful with everything I can, especially when it comes to APA. I'm. I can't. I can't remember about that one. But yeah, great. Uh, great document, great reference. And APA has so many wonderful uh, guidance documents. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I think we both volunteer so much of our time to APA. Is, is excellent and lots of great content on APA.org, the guidance documents, whether it be for compounding, uh, Prop 65 guidance, or even a lot of their free educational uh, webinar material as well, too. That's absolutely true. Any uh, parting thoughts for practitioners who are also selling products? Um, yeah, so uh, 
I would use caution, and I think I touched on this earlier, with using um, st standard terms that might be in your curriculum in your TCM school or herb school or ND school. Um, be careful using those to describe products if you're selling them. So I think this really, there's really a huge gap. So at naturopathic colleges and all the other practitioner schools um, applicable here, they don't necessarily teach anything about how to not get in trouble while marketing your products. If you're a practitioner, you make products. So there's a huge educational gap there, uh, which is one of the reasons why I was so excited to come on here and, and talk to everyone today about this. So I guess my, my parting wisdom is, if you're going to make a product that's going to be advertised or sold online, it doesn't matter how big or small you are, be very careful to not inadvertently turn that herbal product or that dietary supplement into a drug. Uh, quick, quick ways to do that are with a hashtag. So let's say I was making Asa's herbal, um, why don't I use mood support, that type of thing. So if I was making Asa's herbal mood support and then I put it on social media and then I put hashtag anxiety, I've taken an otherwise relatively low risk social media post and made it high risk just with the hashtag. This includes meta tags, keywords, um, things on social media, such as infographics, such as ACE's mood support formula is good for this and this and this, and also use very strong caution when discussing ingredient benefits. This is a very, very, very important enforcement trend in blogs. So companies that are, are practitioners that may be um, talk, talking about ingredient benefits for any products they may be, may be selling, the FDA's line between informational blog to product blog is getting closer and closer and closer. So um, if, a if a practitioner wants to talk about the benefits of their ingredients and their formulas, I would again use strong caution with uh, using words such as anti-inflammatory, antiviral that are common in our herbalist or practitioner vernacular, but then as we're selling a product can easily cross the line into claims. So I could probably talk for hours about this, as you can tell, but I think I'll be, be quiet yeah. there. Yeah, it's basically, in, in short, don't turn your herbal product into a drug by using high-risk uh, buzzwords or disease-oriented words. Yeah, I, I think, you know, thank you, Asa, for coming on the show and discussing this with me today about practitioner versus product claims. And for practitioners that are selling products that are interested in learning more, I highly suggest that you reach out to Asa. And also, and if you want to learn more and I'm going to twist Asa's arm and probably rope another person in, we can probably put together a webinar just sort of to talk about this and have a more interactive forum for practitioners who are making products. So I think that might be actually a great follow-up to this, Asa. I, I volunteer. Sounds good. I love, I love it. Sounds good. I can, I can think of another person we could, we could bring in to, to potentially even cover um, some of the manufacturing side. So yeah, I, lo I love that idea. Yeah, me too. So thanks for volunteering and thank you for your time. And it was a pleasure to catch up with you as usual. Uh, hopefully, I will be able to catch a rugby game with you in the future. Yeah. This is, uh, replica uh, jersey from uh, France uh, national team. So we'll talk rugby later. And thank you so much, Asa. Thanks again, Wilson. Thanks to everyone out there. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the business of herbs and botanicals, visit newherbs.com. To keep listening to great episodes, be sure to subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, or Spotify, and make sure to give us a rating, too.